Welcome back to another episode of Stories Between Us. We are the place where ordinary stories intersect in extraordinary ways so that one day a better story can be told. And yo, don't we need better stories today? Oh my goodness. Every single day. Every day. We need better stories because 2020 right now is, um, Lord, Modi, what kind of story is 2020 right now? <laughs> a story that's what <laughs> i don't even know if you can oh, fit man. this into a genre i was i was actually uh i say this all the time you really can't write this no one no one could have written this year mm. Mm. not even shonda rhymes herself right oh my goodness <laughs> like th- this is this is a year you know i think i think this this year is a year where I think it's almost as if like, you know, like when you're, when you're running and you're running and you're running and you're running and you just, it just hits you that like, yo, you are not okay. Like, Mm. like you may try and keep running, but you are not okay. Your body breaks down. You're not okay. Like you can try and keep pushing, but you know, you're not okay. And I think, I think an image, you know, if we are to use the image uh, to use, political science language of the body politic. Mm. If you had to use the image of America as a body, uh, this body is breaking down. Uh, and, and I mean, it's always been broken in some sense. And, you know, the ideals of this body, you know, far out exceeded the capability mm. of this body to, you know, uh, embody its own ideas. And so, we're now getting hit, you know, collectively with the reality that uh, we're not working. Whatever it is, mm. <laughs> we're not working. We are not Whatever okay. Yeah. You know, speaking of not okay, um, and this year we've gone. I think I think all of us have spent so much time at home. Wow. But have we really felt as such mm. for? us it would be you know in the terms of of the 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 civil civil uprising being people of color and not being able to call the country that we live in home mm. and um the the dictionary merriam webster defines home as a place one one's place of residence uh, two, the social unit formed by a family living together. Hmm. Three, a familiar or usual setting. And four, a place of origin. Hmm. And um, I think all those things together define a home. But um, the the difference, I guess, in feeling at home versus being home are two completely different things. That's real. That's so real. And I think, you know, yes, like we, you know, we we are struggling with trying to find home, all of us. I think even in our own personal lives, like I, I would like to think that, that all of us in some moment of life, you know, have various struggles where, you know, where we're trying to find home again. You know, I'm finishing, so I'm writing my book and I just finished this chapter entitled Faith. Now, I won't talk too much about it. (laughs) Uh, Can't give away, look, can't give away too much. But like one of the things that I notice about faith and speaking of faith in this moment is in some sense, faith as a journey of finding home again. Uh, faith as a journey of finding a place we can call home where we, in some sense, all those definitions are really getting at four things that home should be a place where we feel secure, where we feel protected, where Mm -hmm. we feel listened to and where we feel inspired. And then in some sense, you know, when, when, when people talk about, you know, home and finding home, even as I try and make sense of my own, I, my own journey of home, mm. like 
there were moments in my life where I felt at home, uh, you know, in my own home space. But there are always there there were all also times in my life where I felt estranged from home. Mm, where yeah. like even trying to find home within yourself and trying to make sense of your own struggles, trying to make sense of your own life, trying to make sense of things outside of you, and you know, not really feeling, you know, at home inside of yourself, feeling at home inside of social space and feeling at home inside of your larger kind of you know, collective uh, space as well. And I think that's, yeah, even even in this moment, yeah, we all are really trying to find home. We are really trying to find home. Yes, really trying to find home. And, um, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to, to kind of center or not center this episode, but um, go through a cycle in this episode of what home means to us wow. as as life goes on. Hmm. So, you know, as a child, home for a child, home for us when we were children was, you know, coming to the same house every day, seeing the same yeah. people every day. And even yeah. thinking about it, it makes me smile. Even mm-hmm. thinking about walking into my mother's house brings me a sense of comfort that I'm literally tearing up about right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just talking about it. And what's weird is that I can smell it, you know, when I Mm. talk about it. And Mm. um, for a child, home is having a place that you feel safe. And for some children, unfortunately, they don't live that life. For some children, Mm. their house is not their home. For Mm. some children, the, the, the place that they feel the safest is school frankly, Mm. right? Mm. And the idea of home changing for us as experiences shape us is one that I think is so interesting to to go through, especially when it comes uh, when it comes from my my own life. And, you know, being an immigrant in this country, and calling two people home or calling two places Mm. home and because I still call India home and Mm. I still say that I'm homesick when I talk about Mm. India or if I haven't been there right but I also say I'm homesick when I think about Georgia when I think about Mm. Eufaula Alabama and um there is a feeling from those places collectively that I think remind me of the way that I felt walking into my, my mother's house as a child. Mm. When I think about those, those, those two places, my grandmother's house in India. And when I think about my mother's house in America, although they are two completely different environments, the feeling of them is the same, the security, the foundation, the Mm. comfort and the safety and the love is still always there no matter how long it takes for me to get there no Mm. matter how long it's been separated past and you know even celebrities every celebrity takes a tour back to their childhood home even Mm. though they call it somewhere else home so um I guess my my question for you is how how has your home changed as as a mm. child and throughout your life mm. into mm. into adulthood and in, into what you call mm. home now? Mm. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, one of the challenging ways of things about this question is that there are things that are great about home, but there are also things that's not so good about not home that good. you try to forget. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is the interesting thing about trauma. You know, I've been reading this, uh, listening to this great book entitled The Body Keeps the, Sc- Keeps the Score of a Bessel van der Kolk. And one of the things he, he notes is that, you know, trauma in some sense, you know, it doesn't simply, you know, change the, the, the you know, the, the psychology of our mind, but also, you know, change kind of what we hold in our bodies and particularly, you know, what memories we hold on to and what memories you try and let go of. Mm. 
And I think as I think about home, there are memories that I try and hold on to. Uh, memories of, you know, pork and beans and rice and fried chicken and cornbread yes. and collard greens and and memories of playing basketball on dirt, dirt courts with my sister or running in the woods with sticks, playing swords with my brothers uh, or whatnot. And just gatherings of family um, that, that I try and hold on to and try and make sense of. And even, you know, my religious home of being Pentecostal and, and growing up in the rural South. Uh, but there are also things that are like, you know, the, the, the trauma, the loneliness, the, the struggle, the, the, the angst, the, uh, uh, feelings of, uh, uh, you know, being the youngest and and wrestling with what it means to be the youngest and caught between, you know, family struggles and uh, um, in some sense being someone that, you know, sometimes maybe it got those struggles got thrown on uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in the worst ways possible. Um, and there, there are things about home, you know, that I tr- have forced myself trauma. Uh, uh, to forget. And even, I think, I would love to see like us viewing life as a journey of finding home or trying to find various homes where we can make meaning. And I think Mm -hmm. life, you know, is like homes are a place where we make deep meaning. It's the place, you know, a lot of people say, you know, everything starts in home. And I don't, I mean, I get where people are trying to get at with that uh, right, or whatnot, yeah. but I think I think it's overused. I think you know, absolutely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not everything starts in home, but right. you know, home is a place where we make sense of the world that we're living in. Right. Home is almost like you know, on one hand, it could be a safe haven, but home can right. also be can be a re-traumatization. Yes. Uh, home can be, you know, the mountaintop. But home can also be uh, the valley of the shadows of death, to use mm. biblical language. Um, home can be a place where one feels a certain sense of belonging and a certain sense of love and a certain sense of nurturing. But home can also be a place that Dr. Greg Ellison talks about where people feel mute and invisible. And so when I think about my childhood upbringing, there were places where like, even as I think about from now, from then to now, there were places that I tried to make home to compensate for homelessness. Mm. There were places that I tried to make home to compensate for inadequacies that I felt within my own home. And I don't know whether that was right or wrong, but I think that, you know, in some sense that oftentimes our sense of homelessness emotionally, because we're we're not simply talking about geography or, you know, where one finds your body spatially or relationally, but we're also talking about a certain sense of emotional belonging and home being a place where one can be free mm. to exhale. Um, where one can be free to know and be known, where one can laugh and one can argue without fear of one's inadequacies being exploited. And so when I think about this journey of home and even leaving home for college and making a home in marriage, I realize that even today, there were shadows of the home that I came from that affect the present now of the home that I'm trying to create. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a journey. That That is a journey that, you know, in some sense, I'm still trying to make sense of. If I'm honest, if I'm going to shoot it straight, you know, this is the story. This is stories between stories us. Between us. <laughs> you know, the, the, we got to we got to work to tell honest stories. Um, and, and I think it's easy in the podcast world to lie. Like we was just talking about that. <laughs> it's so easy to lie. It can be so easy to be whomever you want behind this mic. Right. But mm. it takes courage mm. to to show up and. And be honest. So go ahead. Stay stay courageous. Yeah. Yeah. It's so easy to lie. And it's so easy to say, you know, like, hey, you know, 
the ways in which we learned how to make home or to make a home or to care for a home. Not always were ways that actually made it a home and created a home in the healthy way possible. Um, But also not every home is a bad home. You Mm. know, when I think about, you know, black people in this country, we have had to be, we have been forced to try and make home in a place that we've been in exile. Yes. We have had to try and make home where, you know, back in the time of slavery, if I can walk out a very quick kind of history lesson, like Mm -hmm. back in the time of slavery, you know, you could have a whole family and then, you know, brother gets sold, sister get killed, another where the enslaver uh, forces one uh, and uh, and sexually violates another and has a kid and then the father is sold and and take and, and you never see one another again and then you know this this quote unquote freedom happens and people are trying to find their families and trying to create home and trying to navigate new homes and new homes of meaning and that process of estrangement in a country that you didn't choose, estrangement in a country that does not love you back, has in mm. some sense made it very hard. And and like, you know what's crazy? That just reminded me of something I read. So like Bell Hooks, who's 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 an incredible thinker. Amazing author. Amazing author. Amazing. She was talking about, especially as you were talking about child, like how children think about home. She, she was writing in her book, Salvation, Black People in Love, where she says, you know, she traveled around the country and she was uh, talking to all these young people. And one of the things that burdened her and saddened her so much is that so many young people felt that love was not a possibility. And she said, one of the reasons why we felt love was not a possibility is because oftentimes when, you know, like their program. Back when mm. we were a kid, you know, don't do drugs or whatnot. Is there, yeah. don't do drugs, is that it? Don't do drugs think- or whatnot. Like, this, go ahead. I, I don't know what it means, but yeah, dare, yeah, dare to be dare, different. Dare, or, <laughs> yeah, something like that. Or don't do drug, don't do drug campaigns back in back back when it was like elementary yeah, yeah, school yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and whole like this whole idea, you know, was was really trying to get us to be certain type of people. Right. And she was talking about you know all these kind of uh, things that happened. Whether you're talking about the Million Man March that happened, whether you're talking about you know churches getting out into communities, she says that. Oftentimes, the people who were talking were trying to reform kids, but they never talked about love. Mm. So change, finding home, finding belonging, finding a sense of identity look more like boot camp than a place of deep love. And I think that's one of the struggles that many of us, you know, are facing in this moment of trying to find home is we're trying to find a place of love, yes. deep love. Yeah. And, you know, being in the military, um, I moved once a year, every year, and um it was exhausting. One, it's physically exhausting to move as it is, you know, and two, 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 um, constantly have to find a new place to be comfortable enough to call home never worked out. And it never does work out for anyone that I still know that's in. And, Mm. um, the, when I think about the the definition of home or what home has meant to me, I think that I'm still stuck in trying to create a space that feels like home to me. And, you know, for me, home feels like my mother. Mm. To me, home feels like, like, like you follow Alabama. And what's wild is that the, I have a cop that just moved into my apartment complex and I mm. felt safer when he didn't live here. Mm. 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 I felt more comfortable in calling the place that I've lived for almost three years now 
home when I didn't have emergency services here. Mm. And I think that says mm. a lot about the climate of expecting a person to to be able to call a country home that, like you said, doesn't love them back, that doesn't mm. even want them here. And um, when I was active duty in the military, although I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I'm very grateful for that time in my life because I wouldn't be where I am or who I am without it. And um, I just know that I was fighting for a country that didn't even want me here. Mm. So um, to, to know that I was, I was adorning a uniform that didn't reflect me or didn't reflect my own home, my own definition of home, um, affected me and still affects me to this day. And I don't know, this is actually a really interesting conversation that I just had with somebody before, whenever, whenever people saw like the American flag, you know, a little while ago, while we were children, it was just a flag Like we didn't, we weren't bothered by it. We, Mm -hmm. some of us found a lot of pride in it because, you know, we were taught that in school and, um, some of us just, it just was a flag. And, um, now when I look at the flag, I, I feel shame. I feel embarrassed. And, um, unfortunately I feel the same way about the American flag now as I do about the Confederate flag. Mm. Yeah, that's real. And, that's real. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I um and I don't I I I don't know how to navigate my way out of it and navigate mm. my way into making it feel like home and like you said creating a home mm. for my loved ones, creating a home for, you know, my future husband and children. And um, thinking about moving out of this country to find Mm. a place called home, I think, says more than calling a place in country home. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's interesting that you bring that point up, particularly about, you know, what what the American flag has come to mean in this moment. I think. You know, it's not that we love the idea of this country less. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it what's interesting is Baldwin had a quote. He says, because I love the, and this might be paraphrasing, but I know it is, uh, because I love the country so much is why I'm so critical. Um, that, that the things right. that we love deeply and that we love dearly and that we're trying to create uh, a more perfect or more loving, a more beautiful or more just home you know, we, we become incredibly critical because we understand the possibility that is locked, the potential that is locked within a symbol and an image, you know, for some that has represent a certain type of home that does not include us. And for many of us, that represents a home that we have never seen, but that we mm. have felt deep inside of felt. us. And so that's the struggle right now. That's the tension yeah. uh, between that that lays between the red, the white, and the blue. That 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 shapes the lines and the stars, and that right. that that in some sense uh, keeps us trying to hold up the flag with dignity and right. and honor and and dare I say pride? Dare pride. I say love? Dare I say uh, imagination? That's that's the challenge right now. Is that that those who desire the flag to me, a white country, are more powerful than us who want the flag to represent a country that's more loving, that's more democratic, that's just. And it's interesting because two figures that I love um, that that we were talking about earlier, um, uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, he he was, you know, a interesting, important. Interesting. Um, interesting person. Yes. He's someone that you can't understand 
in some sense, you it's it's hard to understand American history, American sociology, black studies, black religion, um, uh, uh, political theory, uh, democracy. You can't. It's hard to understand, you know, all of those aspects of our society without the boys. Right. You know, we hear uh, we hear names of old people back in the day of. Uh, Alexis de Tocqueville and Democracy in America, or we hear, you know, uh, Wendell Berry, like a guy named Wendell Berry. We'll hear that name, that Wendell Berry name, or various names that we heard that are critical voices in this country of understanding, you know, America. Um, Du Bois is one that, you know, we can't understand this country without. But what's interesting is that Du Bois, at the, I mean, Du Bois, toward the end of his life, if I'm not mistaken, left the country. Mm-hmm. And he relocated to Ghana because he felt that he was trying to get a country to love him that refused to love him back. Refused, yes. But you know what's interesting about the boys and 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 trying to find home in America is the day that the March on Washington happened in 1963 was the day that W. E. B. Du Bois dies. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is he leaves, March on Washington happens. A few years later, Malcolm is dead. Mm-hmm. A few years later, Martin is dead. And this country forever, in some sense, seemed to um, not give up the idea that white people matter more and that others must be valued less. You know, that reminds me of a thing. Uh, this actually is a great book uh, uh, by Eddie Glaude. He just released this book um, entitled Begin Again, James Baldwin's America and His Urgent Lessons for Ours. Hopefully we can get Glaude on here one day. I'm hoping. Uh, I hope uh, so. Right, right. We need to grab Glaude. Uh, but he writes this. He says the ruins were a fitting description for what Baldwin saw in the latter part of his life in the United States. And in some sense, the boys. He saw decay and wreckage alongside greed and selfishness. He saw and felt deeply the effects of America's betrayal of the black freedom struggle of the mid 20th century. The country had refused once again to turn its back on racism and to reach for its better angels. And our children were paying the cause. As I looked, Glaude writes, out at onto the ruins and thought of the election of Donald Trump and the ugliness that consumed my country. I ask myself, what do you do when you have lost faith in a place you call home? Mm. Wow. And, and you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is that between, between two, two categories of people, between white people and, and people of color, the, this country does not feel the same. And, mm. and to say to say that we're living in the same world, um, to say that to say that we have the same opportunities is so I hate to put it like this, but it's just so ignorant and it's willfully ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's that's the part that gets me. It's so willfully ignorant um, to imagine today as feeling the same for you and I, as it does for, you know, someone else, someone else that Mm. that's white. So, yeah, like one of the things I'm so interested in right now, especially with this kind of aspect of trying to find home, trying to be at home in ourself at home in the world, you know, how do you think this year, has like either negatively or positively affected our sense of home or how we understand home when it comes to coronavirus, when it comes to, you know, political upheaval, when it comes to families being at home, you know, with each other more or families not being at home with each other more because they're essential workers or, you know, families not being able to be reunited you know, for some time because of COVID restrictions. Like, like, how do you think that's changing 
our identity of home and people not being able to meet in those social networks where they felt at home in those social networks. How do you think that either is like positively or negatively affecting us? I think, I know for, for me personally, it, if it's more negative and, Mm. and I don't know if it's more negative because I think, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it's more negative because every day that I try to make this better, every day that, that I try to do something brave to make my world better, mm. um, is also the frequency at which I get more disappointed every day. It's, it's also the, the frequency that I read something that disappoints me every single day. So, Mm. you know, I came to a point um, of anger last week with, uh, with Breonna Taylor's um, everything (laughs) with Breonna Taylor's everything. Mm. Um, Mm. I came to a point of anger that, that it, it really, discouraged me from trying to continue right like Mm. like I'm I'm sure that that this is the plateau that that many people reach um in in terms in terms of of activism or or being abolitionist um that well what what am I doing this for Mm. right it's the same place that that W.B. Du Bois got got to same place that Martin Luther King wrote about same place that James Baldwin wrote about same place Maya Angelou wrote about Nikki Giovanni still speaks of this to this day Mm. and to to reach that plateau and to to make a decision whether I will continue to be in this line of work and continually make myself upset or just try and live live the rest of my days in, in willful ignorance and, and leave the country. Mm. So, you know, mm. it's, um, it's a tough question to ask whether it's affected my, my idea of home positively or negatively, because I think it just kind of took my idea of home away and made wow. me feel as if I didn't have one here. Mm. It made me feel as mm. if the people that I so deeply love that I so deeply care about that they don't have one either. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, in, in Indian culture, home is, is a lot, but you also invite people over constantly, right? Like breaking bread with, with, with someone in, in our culture is sacred. You know, if you invite someone into your home, it's sacred. So to think that that we are all living in a home of people that hate us Mm. is it it took my idea of home away. Mm. And um, I think that's why I'm having such great difficulty being able to answer your question with with conviction or true definition, because. I really think that that this year has made me search for the idea of home and even even speaking out of um, out of the civil unrest, speaking into the idea of just coronavirus, speaking into Mm. like the idea of just being quarantined into your own place. Mm. Mm. um, It if it still felt scary, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like like the society was still collectively living in fear over something that we couldn't see. And we saw it in the results of, of the victims, unfortunately, right? And that made us more fearful. But my, my um, problem, I think, is that the same thing could be applied to the civil unrest. You felt unsafe because you saw people dying Mm. well (laughs) there's people dying every day right and there's people dying of of things that can be prevented so Mm. 
Mm. Why not be that upset about everything? And mm. um, and I'm not I'm not sure if that makes sense or not. But you know, home. I read somewhere. Um, not not somewhere actually. Let me give credit where credit is due. Um, I read by Julie Beck, um, who wrote uh, uh, an article in the Atlantic a, a few years back. And she said in this article, home is a place so profoundly familiar that you don't even have to notice it. Okay, read that one more time. Wow. Home is a place so profoundly familiar that mm. you don't even have to notice it. So to walk out mm. every day consistently noticing something is exhausting. Like how can how mm. can one how can one really really call this home man that's so good especially <laughs> like to that read that one more time i'm like legit sitting with this quote real quick i'm telling you julie beck in this article i'm i'm gonna read more um more a little bit later but yes home is so profoundly familiar that you don't even have to notice it wow and that begs the question like what happens when home becomes unfamiliar? Exactly. Where do you go? Yeah. And, and like you said, you notice everything. And I, yeah, that's so real. And and that's even like, even in our own bodies today, like even if we think about our bodies and coronavirus and, you know, everybody talking about, you know, I, I gained that quarantine, that Corona 25 and- <laughs> And, and and when our own place of bodily home feels unfamiliar right. and we notice everything and that, that becomes a place of deep introspection that we do not like or, or, or being able to adjust to this new home that we have um, and, and the courage to be able to adjust. Like, and I think about, yeah, what, what happens when home becomes unfamiliar? Um, and the ways in which we try and find home to deal with the stress of the unfamiliar, to deal with the struggle of the unfamiliar, to deal with ways in which we, you know, have learned to navigate the unfamiliar in ways that's healthy and not healthy. Um, and I, I think about that this year, you know, this year is an unfamiliar year. So we're noticing everything. Like it is an unfamiliar year for many people. For many people, this year is a year that's, you know, that has happened before. It is a year that many people have seen before. Many people have experienced before. I mean, when you're talking about political unrest, when you're talking about a pandemic, when you're talking about uh, uh, food insecurity, when you're talking about life as an incarcerated body, uh, uh, as a body of a kid locked in a cage at the border, uh, when you're talking about, you know, families not being able to provide for one another and the struggles of the breakdown of the economic infrastructure of a country, the, the kind of struggles of racial terror and violence and the ways in which the criminal injustice system is happening and the ways in which, you know, our own mental struggles are are coming to fore and the ways in which, you know, we have become estranged from one another. Like there is something that's very familiar about that, but there's also something that's incredibly unfamiliar about that this year that has forced us to notice everything about ourselves. And I think, you know, one of the things that's a challenge, especially when you start noticing things about home, you know, that you don't like, it, it kind of reminds me of my, my wife. She, she like notices everything at the house that's not in order. You know, <laughs> uh, she has that spiritual gift of insight uh, to notice when things are just not okay in the house. And, right. you know, she notices everything and she, she, she sees everything. And I think it's good because for me, because I don't notice, I let it fester. Because I don't notice, I let it go beyond control. Because I don't notice, uh, I can have, this is an important mission, because I don't notice, I can have some old food stinking up my house. 
And I've got so used to yeah. not noticing that there is something rotten in my home that I have looked over because I've gotten so used to not noticing to it being familiar. And I wonder what are those things inside of our own personal lives and our own stories, our own journeys, our own country that has been familiar that we have not noticed. That's a question I feel like this year has forced in it's forced us to deal with that. I don't know if we have the capability or the tools to deal with. And I think we all collectively need help, both spiritual, both professional help, you know, to help us navigate that question of how do we notice something and create a new home when the thing that's become familiar is something that's right. Right. You know, um, Julie, Julie Beck also said um, in, in, in the same the same article she said that if home is where the heart is then by its most literal definition home is wherever I am mm. but um you know in in spite of of her moving around in spite of her staying in Paris staying abroad um she still calls I guess her apartment home mm. and um she still thinks of it as as a home even though she has called so many other places home separately and as an adult to find home I think it feels more of a person than it does a place for us so when you speak of your, uh, when you speak of Jasmine, of, of your wife and her noticing something, do you feel at home and have you felt at home with her through, you know, being a military spouse because of her? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's it. I, I I love that distinction that you make. I think that's an important distinction to make, especially, you know, as we think about like children and adults today, as we think about caring for one another in this moment, because, you know, especially when we're talking about stories between us, like this, this is a place where we say we want ordinary stories to transform how we think about our story where ordinary stories in a second extraordinary way so that one day you know a better story can be told and it's a place where we try and care for ourselves so you know we not just want to tell stories but want to care and as i think about that distinction and that caring for young people and us as adults and even even like even if you think about like older people who are you know in in uh, uh who who aren't necessarily seeing their family right. and trying to find a home. And I think about my wife or whatnot, you, you make the distinction between, you know, being young and it's a place. And when you get older, it becomes a person. That is a very perceptive distinction because even if I think about, you know, we wanted a certain type of nurturing, nurturing environment, a, an environment where we felt seen, inspired and protected. So that place as children, as we grow up, we want that place. But as we get older, you know, place matters less and less rather and more about like the meaning that we find with people and not just like a person, but people, because you can be single and find home. You don't have to be married or in a relationship uh, to find a home, uh, but you do find home in those spaces of home with people. And I think, you know, especially as I think about my wife in the military, you know, we like 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 you, we've moved a lot over these years since we've been married since 2014. And every every time we've had to, you know, re-understand what home is, uh, both with one another as we get older and we uncover together, you know, this journey of marriage as healing. You know, it hit me this weekend, you know, and I, and, and sadly, you know, once again, honest story, we've been honest. I don't think that I thought about marriage that way as a journey of healing, you know, relationships today and, and whether they're uh, uh, marital uh, uh, 
relationships or or, or any I mean uh, um, relationships you know that that you're dating a person or just friendships or you know whatever whatever relationship capacity relationships we're in you know those relationships aren't moments of experience and too often we kind of reduce home and finding home to like moments of experience. So like those familiar smells, those familiar sounds, those familiar kind of feelings. So like for me, like going outside in the fall time, looking up in the sky and seeing the, uh, uh, seeing the stars in the sky is a very familiar experience of home back in rural South Carolina and seeing that as well. But like that experience of finding home and creating home and creating a better home for each of us and particularly with my wife, you know, it's not a moment of experience, but it is a relationship and a journey toward healing. And I think, you know, you know, as I think about, you know, military and finding home, I think it's a journey that never stops. Mm. It's, it's a journey that never stops. It's, it's not a neutral train. The train continues to happen because you know the more that you get to know and understand your spouse and the more you get to know and understand people the more you know you see the depths of your your brokenness the more that you see you know ways in which you've learned how to compensate for brokenness ways in which you have survived ways in which you know you know you have uh, had the audacity to live ways in which you have created meaning in the midst of mayhem uh, but also ways in which you have learned how, you know, to to cut off parts of yourself because that cutting off that part of yourself felt safe and felt like home. But it's a burning home. It's a burning building. It's a building that's bound for destruction uh, uh, <laughs> or whatnot, to use the metaphor of the burning house. It, it's your home and, you know, it's safety, but it's a burning home when you cut off parts of yourself. And so it's like, you know, that journey is forever happening. And to, 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 you know, find home, you know, there's, there's, there's a study that was done not too long ago that many of Americans, you know, relocate. So many men of Americans relocate and that in relocating, there is a sense of fear uh, tied to like there's fear, kind of excitement and exploration but there's also like a sense of loneliness that is tied up into moving and relocating and beginning again and trying to find home again. And so a part of moving, you know, whether it was to California, whether it was for me to New York and her to Texas and then us to Georgia and then to Florida and then back to Cali uh, or, or whatnot and just various places. It's like there's that excitement of trying to find tr- tr- like creating a home again, once again, starting over. But there's also like that longing of, dag, like this ain't the way it used to be. We're not Mm -hmm. around the people that we used to be around. We're not in the kind of environment that we used to be in. And we got to figure out a way how to adapt and to adjust to our new home and to try and make meaning in a home and be on a journey of discovery, uh, a journey of deep love, a journey of deep compassion and deep honesty, a journey of, you know, leaving some things behind and picking up some new things. Uh, amen. Uh, oh, what not? Because in some <laughs> sense, sometimes, you know, there are some things um, that we have to leave behind and some new things that we have to, you know, take on because those old, it's like PCS and you can't take everything with you, you can't take that it you with had you. before. Lord, that is a sermon in and yes. of itself. There are things you got to leave behind that you can't take with you into this new home. If you're going to make it a loving environment, there are friends that you made, whether that be physical friends uh, whether that be coping friends, coping mechanisms, seeing your coping as friends, seeing your struggle as friends. There are friends that you have made that you can't, that, they, that is a journey of survival. That's a place that gave you meaning. That's a place that helped you cope. But these friends, you're going to have to try as best you can to say, hey, at a point in time, you helped me. Uh, but right now, I have to, it was cool, but I have right. to move on to because move on. there is a new home that I have to adapt and adjust in. Right. And my ability to adapt, adapt and adjust will not be the best 
possible adaptation and adjustment if I bring this friend along right. with me in a new home I'm trying to create. Right. And I'm using friend as a metaphor. Whatever right. is that metaphor can be physical, can be um, anything. Whatever, whatever has become a friend to you that mm. has helped you through your struggles, that has helped you through your trauma, that has helped you survive, that has helped give you meaning. Sometimes, I mean, not always are these bad things, uh, but sometimes those friends, you know, you have to know which friends to bring in and which friends to let go. Uh, and right. I think as I, even as I think about my marriage and, and home and trying to find home, you know, there have been friends in my marriage, in my life that were not the best friends to bring with me. Mm. Uh, friends that that were needed to let go uh, 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 or whatnot, if indeed we were going to create the best way uh, forward and create a, an environment, you know, that's loving, that's vulnerable, that's open, that's mm -hmm. that's real. And, and that's a journey, you know continually the journey to honesty the journey to openness the journey to vulnerability doesn't stop or begin when you get involved in deep relationship it is a journey that is not linear but slick cyclical mm. it's a journey where you know like you become courageous again and you shut down <laughs> you become courageous again and you put yourself back in <laughs> And it's just like you you have to learn how to create a certain type of trust, a certain type of courage, uh, a certain type of willingness to say, you know, hey, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. This is who I'm trying to become and this is who I want to become together. Right. You know, um... <laughs> I didn't even know we was going to talk about like, you know, I didn't either, even to that. be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Erica Badu has a song called Bag Lady. First of all, one of my top 10, right? Top 10 songs. Erica Badu herself is top five, probably. Um, and Bag Lady, she says, um, you gonna miss your bus dragging all them bags. <laughs> mm. And, uh, she said, I guess nobody ever told you that all you must hold on to is you. Mm. And um, when I first heard the song, I didn't understand it, to be honest mm. with you, right? I was just mm. like, hmm. And then um, I started calling one of my best friends, Mariana. I started calling her bag lady because she always, for some reason, every time we were in high school, had three full bags. I... <laughs> Listen, I don't know, right? So um, I started calling her bag lady after, you know, listening to that song. But then as I got older and I listened again, bag lady became something so profoundly different for me. Bag lady wow. became so mirrored for me. It became, mm. the song itself became a mirror. It became... Mm. Um, something that that when I listen to it, it makes me, I guess, reevaluate what it is that I carry in these bags and am I going to miss my bus because of it? Mm. Mm. Will That's this a word. season yeah, will this season leave without me? right? Wow. And the, the fact wow. of the matter is is that most likely it will. Most likely this season will leave without me if I don't prepare myself, if I don't lighten mm. my load. And mm. I think that that transformation into emotional, spiritual, and psychological maturity is something that people don't reach, you know, for a very long time. Mm. I think that, mm. I think that it doesn't, I think that it doesn't get there, you know, until until we realize it for ourselves, unfortunately. Mm. And mm. um, you know, to towards towards the end of this episode, I just want to quote Julie one more time. Mm. She says in this in this article, she says, um, 
I can't be connected with my home in the intense way that Sax, uh, Sax's book says. So she, she references another book in the article. Um, Mm -hmm. but she says, but neither do I presume that my personality to be context free. Mm. Mm. This one is, this one is it. No one is ever free from their social or physical environment. And whether or not we are always aware of it, a home is a home because it blurs the line between the self and the surroundings and challenges the line we try to draw between who we are and where we are. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. Especially as I think about, you know, that, that, I mean, in some sense, this episode presents a challenge you know, not simply for our public stories of what kind of home are we going to create as a country? You know, what baggage does America need to leave behind? Uh, what what things do we need to put in our bags today as it relates to, to democracy and a more loving and just union and more loving and just country that we need to add? Uh, when it comes to voting and understanding the democratic processes, when it comes to you know, conversing, when it comes to studying, when it comes to uh, marching and protesting, when it comes to doing whatever we need to do to allow this country to give up the lies and become better and to be a better Mm. country, Mm. to be liberated from the lies. What things do we need to put in those bags? You know, even as, you know, we prepare for November, even as we prepare for November and looking at, you know, uh, the presidential election, federal election, state and local elections, how can we be preparing our minds to look at our minds as a bag? And what baggage do we need to leave behind mm-hmm. uh, to help us, you know, not miss this moment that we are in because we are in a moment. But also that story, yes, is important, but also the personal and communal stories of our own lives. What baggage do we need to behind, leave behind uh, uh, or whatnot? so that we don't miss this moment. And I think, you know, even even as I think about something that's on my heart right now to share is that, you know, oftentimes leaving bags behind presents a place of fear for us because we would think, and we oftentimes tell ourselves that the things that we leave behind will kind of limit our ability to make meaning in the present. Mm -hmm. But that's just not the case. You know, the things, you know, the things that we, you know, leave behind, you know, right now, you know, presents an opportunity to imagine something better for all of us. And the question becomes, will we have the courage to imagine something better for ourselves? Will we have the courage to imagine a better story for every one of us? Yo, that was an incredible, incredible episode. We thank the many of you, you know, who have been riding with us and, you know, liking and subscribing and sharing. We want to say first that we thank you, that we love you, that we're grateful for you. We want you to do us a little favor, though. We want you this week, as you complete this episode, we want you to get one person, just one, as for one person, that you say, you know what, as I've heard this, this spoke so deeply to me that I want to share this with you. Just one person. We're not asking for five. We're not asking for 10. (laughs) Not even asking for two. Not even one and a half. We just asked for one person <laughs> that you can say, you know, hey, this was very meaningful and impactful. And we want you to at least give it 15 minutes. You don't got to give it a whole hour. You don't got to give it 45. Just say, you know, give your 15 minutes today, you know, start right. your day off or, or whatnot. And, you know, share that with one person. And that will help us out tremendously uh, because, yeah, we believe, you know, that our podcast is meaningful. We believe that it's transformative. We believe that we're having conversations that's necessary for this moment and beyond. So we want to thank you for joining us once again uh, for another episode of Stories Between Us. And you know, we are the place where ordinary stories 
intersect in extraordinary ways so that one day a better story can be told. I'm Stu. And I'm Modi. And we are.